making our way. I so appreciate um, one of the guys this morning said to me after um, he just loves the word and uh, he always there's hardly a week that goes by after I teach it doesn't come up and just kind of show me something else about something I've talked about and and uh, he just said you know when I heard you were going to start Genesis I went oh man boring and he says boy it's anything but boring I said oh it's anything but boring I think Genesis is one of the most incredible books in the Bible and so again I think this morning that you're going to be really touched as we look at this passage let's pray Father thank you so much for your word we do pray Lord that you will um provide for this outreach this summer to bring these children to the Northwest, Lord. We pray that everything would be, uh, your will would be accomplished, Lord. You'd bring forth the right number of homes. You'd bring forth the kids. You'd put the kids in the right homes. And all the needs that need to be met, Lord, you would meet them. And it would be a glorious time, Lord, where uh, seeds can be planted. And even these young lives can give their, their hearts to you, Lord Jesus. And so we look ahead to that and we pray for that ministry. But now, Lord, we also would pray for our hearts. And as we look at your word and we consider this part of Abraham's uh, journey today, that you just speak to us again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think if anybody says, and people do say it sadly, that the Bible isn't relevant for today, that it's this dated, ancient, old-fashioned book, you really have a person that isn't, considering the Bible with an open heart because it's really anything but that today you're going to see I don't where I really don't know who what person hasn't or isn't currently in a situation where they're like where Abraham is right now in his life when he went through these events in that place of kind of knowing the promises of God for his life and yet they hadn't come true yet he hadn't he wasn't experiencing them all um it's that place we, where you, you believe God and you want what God wants, but you're still waiting for it to come to pass. And this is where Abraham is at. And of course, you should by now be going, I've been there or I'm there right now. And of course, sometimes we can be in that place and there can be some real peace there. So it's not always a, a place of turmoil. But often it can be a place where we are anxious, where we're fearful, We find it maybe difficult to trust the Lord when we're in that place. Um, But it can be described as maybe a great divide, a gulf, a separation, a gap where you're in that place again of knowing um, and yet you haven't experienced the fulfillment of the promise. It's like if you ever made a trip to eastern Washington, you've stood at the bottom of the area known as Dry Falls. It's an interesting area. They say in thousands and thousands of years ago, that it used to be an area where there was water actually coming over these massive cliffs. And so it's kind of like that. You're in the bottom of those cliffs and you could look up to the one and you could look up to the other. You're not on either one. You're in the middle. And and that's kind of where Abraham is right now. He's been called out of his home, his land. He's, He's made a step of faith. And yet the things that God said leave for haven't all come true yet. And so this is what we're going to look at this morning. And again, I think it's something that can really speak to our hearts. When we left off in 14 last week, um, Abraham was invaded or Abraham was involved in an invasion of kings from the east that came down into the south part of the Dead Sea where uh, Lot was living. 
And there was a battle uh, that took place as he went to rescue Lot. And you and I read about these events, but Abraham lived these events. And so we need to understand it'd be what it'd be like to go through these. Um, and there were really, think of all the, man, this, the things this man has gone through now up to this point. He had traveled through a land going from Ur up to the north and back around um, a strange land. And again, we might think, oh, how picturesque, how romantic, and yet definitely not without its struggles and trials. Coming to the land, he was forced by a famine. He made a move to Egypt. Um, it seems like he wasn't trusting the Lord. It probably wasn't the best thing to do. He lied about who Sarai was. And there was a trial there in Egypt. So he went through that, came out of that okay. Um, there was then strife between the herdsmen, his herdsmen, Lot's, the herds, the numbers of animals. Um, it ended up with uh, Lot having to leave. And again, we're not told much detail, but you know, I can imagine there was some sadness in that whole thing. Then there was this battle in chapter 14 that he gets drawn into. He goes and rescues Lot. And then the high, winning the battle, coming back, being victorious, uh, knowing that God was with them. And then this incredible, incredible encounter with Melchizedek. Um, again, a God thing, isn't it? And years, not days, had passed since he had left Ur. And he was wondering, when will the promise come true, Lord? The promise that called me out of Ur in 12.2 where you said I will make you a great nation and that's what God said to him when he left Ur or in 12.7 when he says to your descendants I will give this land or 13.6 where he says I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth and so there was a, a gulf if you will between divine promise and personal experience and that's the place that Abraham is in right now and so he had been through a lot you really get an idea now don't you um, but he still believed God, but he was wondering, Lord, when will these promises that you've told me take place? And notice that they're promises that God told him. It wasn't something that he came up with. I like what John Davis says in his work on Genesis in Paradise to Prison. He says, Abraham, like many of us, was perplexed about how circumstances could possibly fulfill God's promise to him. And of course, we've been there, haven't we? Where we see what needs to be done. We're trusting God to do it. But in all honesty, we just don't know how. How are you going to do this, Lord? And so what do we read in verse 1? God says, do not fear, Abraham. Fear not, or do not be afraid. And you could say, you know, that you might think, well, that's in the future. But you know what? It was really right then for Abraham. Because more than likely, um, after everything had settled down, the battle, the victory, you know, uh, meeting Holy Melchizedek, everything, he's gone now. Not to mention, don't you think in the back of Abraham's mind there was the thought, am I ever going to see these kings again? Am I going to ever have to deal with them again? And again, think of the trials you and I have. Most of the trials we have do not deal with our physical well-being. And this is exactly what he dealt with. Um, it was life or death. He could, have, he could have died in those battles. And so... No doubt, all this has gone through, and he, he knows what God has said, and maybe he's wondering, these kings ever going to come back, or, or when is there going to be a next situation where I have to get my mighty men and go after these guys or fight these guys? And, and so you could kind of get an idea that maybe he was a little fearful. And so the word of the Lord came to him. Look at verse 1, and the Lord said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And so 
it's amazing that the Lord then came in this time to him. Now, I want to stop for just a minute. Because I think that verse alone, we could just use that as a sermon and go no farther. But I want to make sure that you realize that the things that the Lord is saying there. And I think there are things that can encourage you and I. First of all, the first thing is just knowing that Abraham feared. You know, that can be really encouraging when you realize that oftentimes just knowing what you are experiencing isn't unique to you, can give you strength to go through what you're going through, trusting the Lord. And this is what we see here, don't we? We see this man of God, Abraham, one of the greatest biblical characters there is, and yet he understood this emotion of fear. And, and so we know then that fear isn't unique to us when we go through it, or it isn't, it isn't outside the realm of a believer. Let me tell you, we would all do well to quit listening to some of the teaching that comes across the TV. Now, I don't listen to it, quite frankly. You can come to my house and those channels are deleted, okay? And I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean or cruel here. Because I've heard those messages that make the believer feel that if you have fear in your life, then something's wrong with you and you shouldn't have those feelings and this and that. And yet, guys, look what we're seeing today. We're seeing without a doubt one of the greatest men of God ever. I, I, if, if there was TV back then, Abraham could have had a show, okay? <laughs> you know, he would have been that, that type of man, you know, I mean, or, or that statue, you know, that type of thing. He wouldn't have, you know. But again, it's, I think it's important because fear isn't necessarily wrong always. And so this is one of the things we see here. And that's encouraging, isn't it? Another thing is to see what he says. He says, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. And of course, that's not hard to understand. A shield is something that protects. You get behind it and whatever comes at you, it stops it. And that's exactly what's being said here. God is saying, Abraham, I'm your protector. And so whether or not he had more kings in mind they'd have to fight or whatever... He's telling Abraham, listen to me. I know right now you can't see how I'm going to fulfill this promise. But one thing I want you to know, I'm your protector, Abraham. And I will stand between you and what would try to come against that promise from being fulfilled. And so that's what we see here, you know, about Abraham. And of course, Jesus has made the same promise to you and I today. See, this is what I want you to see. In, in 2 Thessalonians 3, it says, But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and what? And protect you from the evil one. And so we know, we could say this, the, the strictest context was Paul's was writing to the, the church at Thessalonica. But we realize that applies to us too. How about Hebrews 13? He himself has said, Jesus said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? And so all of a sudden you realize, wow. The same promise to Abraham is made to every child of God. And then he says, your reward shall be very great. And again, this comes to you and I as well. Reward here isn't necessarily. Matter of fact, it's not at all material reward, you guys. It's spiritual. We've already seen that Abraham, by those standards of those days, was a very wealthy man. He had multiple herds and flocks. And, and he, he didn't need anything else. He had, he had servants. He had everything he needed. And what he's asking for, God, when is your will going to be done? That will that you told me, see? So he's really saying, God, when's that spiritual work going to take place? When's that spiritual reward going to finally come forth? And, and so that's what the Lord is telling Abraham. It will happen. And, you know, our flesh so often wants the material, you guys. 
But but isn't the spiritual riches what we're really after? And God says it will come to be. In Ephesians 3, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that what? That works within us. And notice it doesn't say the power that might be working in us, or if you do this, it will be working in you. No, it says it's working in you. And as you're going to see very clearly before this morning's over, it's because it's all contingent upon God and His doing and not on our doing. And so again, what an incredible thing that the, the thing that we want, the spiritual work that we're wanting to still see in our own life or the, the spiritual work that we're wanting to see maybe in our family's life or our friends' lives or uh, as a pastor, I definitely want to see it in our church's life. You know. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there's no spiritual work taking place, but I'm saying God... I know you're God and you're not done, so keep at it, man. And so Abraham, he didn't need the, the wealth. He, he didn't need the wealth of the kings. He didn't take it, remember, when it was offered to him. And we don't need it either because we have Christ. We have all the spiritual rewards that we need and they'll outlast this world. Do you realize the things that God rewards us with transcend time, transcend location? And so, so often that work that God wants to do in us, that reward He wants to bring in us, not only do we start to experience it now, but right on through to heaven, it goes with us to there as well. Well, so this is the case. Abraham is in this situation, gone through these things. Verse 2, Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. See, here's what, God, here's what Abraham wants. This is what God had promised him, remember? And Abraham said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. And then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned to him as righteousness. And so Abraham believed, but he didn't see how God was doing it. He, he was going to bring forth an heir from his own flesh. They had been together, him and Sarai, for many years, still no children. And that's why he says there, I am childless. Genesis 18:11 says, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and Sarah was past childbearing. We understand that. You ladies know you reach a certain point, that's done. And some of you are going, yes, it's done. You know, you know, but it is. And it would seem they have resided then, this couple had resided, that children weren't going to be a part of their life, at least their own children. You know, And they had resided to that fact. And so Abraham thought it would be Eliezer, his chief servant. And again, this wasn't uncommon in the culture or the custom to leave one's servant's wealth or even to adopt a child. They adopted back then. And so maybe if you couldn't have your own children, the, your fortunes, your wealth, your inheritance would go to a servant. It could go to somebody you adopted. They've uncovered something known as the tablets of adoption back in this area that actually show and, and record the belongings of one person uh, being transferred to a child that was adopted. But the Lord, notice he says, verse 4, Abraham, not Eliezer, but one from your own body. In other words, your own child, not an adopted child, Abraham. I will bring forth what I told you I will. And if that wasn't enough, that God himself was making the promise, the Lord then takes Abraham outside. They must have been in a tent. He says, come on, Abraham. You know. And they go outside and, and he says to him, look up, count the stars if you can. And he says, that is what your descendants will be like. 
And just think about that, you guys. You know, we live in the city and we just don't get out in the country enough, do we? But when you do and you get into a place where the light, city lights aren't there and you start looking at stars, you ever notice that the more you look, the more you see? Well, it's because God just makes them for you. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, but your eyes and everything just keep changing and some of them are so far away that they're, they're not as bright and you just keep looking and all of a sudden you realize just how many stars are up there. And so this is what God does. He takes Abraham out and he says, you know, look up, Abraham. You know, this is what your descendants will be like. And, and, and maybe for some, they could have been in this situation. You know, in the tent, God says, come on out. And they'd say, I still can't see it, Lord. I can't see it. I, I don't understand what you're talking about. But remember, for Abraham, Abraham was a man who had already shown faith. He was a man of faith. He was willing to trust God when he left his home in Ur. And he wasn't one who just saw what was immediately before his eyes. He looked the best he could with spiritual eyes, with, with faith, you guys. And you know, that's a good place just to make a note. You know, put an entry in your computer right now. That you and I need to learn to do that. The more we walk with the Lord, the more we grow in the Lord, we've got to be men and women who are seeing beyond the immediate. We're seeing beyond the situation we're in. We're seeing beyond the circumstances we're in. And even if we don't see it clearly, at least we say, okay, God, I know there's something more going on here. See? You know, and we face those situations, don't we? Where God is saying, will you look, will you put on spiritual glasses, and will you try to see with a spiritual perspective? And again, guys, it's so important that you and I do that. Well, having heard what the Lord said and then being taken outside, look again at verse 6. It says of Abraham that he believed in the Lord and the Lord, he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And so Abraham believed what God had said. In his heart, he literally believed, if God says Sarai and I will have our own child, then I believe it will be. That's really what it means there. He believed that, okay, God said this is it's going to happen and God what declared him righteous and as Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness so when anyone believes in Christ his righteousness Christ's righteousness is credited to them and it's known and we call it the doctrine of justification we'll come back to that as we end this morning John Davis again in his writings on Genesis says he may still have questioned how God would fulfill his promise but he believed in the Lord and this reveals much about the true nature of faith. It does not ignore natural circumstances, but it does recognize that God is superior to them all and can alter them to suit His purposes. And so this is what was happening with Abraham. Well, verse 7, He said, Abraham said to him, or the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And Abraham responded, He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And so the conversation continues. And stop there just for a minute, you guys. Isn't that incredible? That there's this interaction, this dialogue going on between Abraham and the Lord Himself. Now, I'm not saying if you don't have that type of dialogue, something's wrong with you and what's wrong with your spiritual walk. I'm not saying that at all. But what I do want you to understand is Abraham is one. He's a type of Christ. He is somebody that we can look to and we should look to. We should look at his life and we should look for the spiritual uh, insights, the spiritual examples that line up with the New Testament and God is trying to speak to our hearts. And this is what we see here. I mean, you don't read of many people that had this type of interchange with the Lord God. And this is exactly what we see taking place here. 
And so, again, it shows us the greatness of him. And again, God reminds him that the promise that the land will be yours. And and more importantly, not only the land, but the descendants. In verse 18, we read, if you look ahead, I'll get to it in a little bit here. Verse 18 actually then shows us for the first time the land. We've seen that um, Abraham has been told that he's going to be given a land. But in verse 18, it outlines the land. And you guys look at it. It's amazing that the land was to go from the Nile River all the way down in Egypt, all the way up to the Euphrates River. And to what degree to the east it would go to the Euphrates, I don't know. But it's amazing because today Israel pretty much is in that little pink area. Not quite probably. Well, no, they're not probably quite as south as that might be. But anyway, what you, you realize this was an incredible thing that God had just promised him. And so Abraham asked, verse 8, O Lord, how may I know that I will possess it? And while to us it might seem it's a question, there's doubt in his life, that there's unbelief. Abraham is really, watch this, listen. He's expressing his desire to see God's promise fulfilled. And so he asks the question not to discover the will of God, but he's trying to confirm the will of God, a fuller explanation. Give me, you know, assurance of details. You know, it's very unlikely there's doubt in that question there because the whole passage... The context of the chapter is really belief and faith. It might be like when a father promises one of their kids something and the little girl, the little boy comes to dad and goes, How? When? And you know, as I used to love those years when the kids were little and you just wanted to bless your kids and you'd kind of tease them is what you were doing, weren't you? you know, but it's a good tease, you know? And they just wanted to know, well, when are we going to do this or how are you going to do this, dad? And you just, you know, you had the power and you just wanted to, bless them with it and they had to just wait and trust with you and and so again it could be like that here and so the Lord then says you know he says how long and God says so he said to him verse 9 bring me three year old heifer and a three year old female goat and a three year old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon and he brought all these to him and he cut them in two and he laid each half opposite the other but he did not cut the birds the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not their own, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nations whom they serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. And then in the fourth generation, they'll return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And so what seems strange to us, this is an interesting thing, isn't it? Sometimes you read these things and you're kind of scratching your head. Okay, really was nothing more than this is how they carried out contracts, you guys, and made covenants in those days. Today, what do we do? We call a lawyer. and We have a lawyer draw out papers and the two parties get together and sign. But that's what takes place here. So Abraham's saying, God, how will I know? How will I know you'll give me this land? How will I know that I'll have this child? And God says, okay, Abraham, bring, get me a heifer and get me a female goat and get me a ram and get me a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And so Abraham brought those and the heifer, the goat, and the ram. They were cut in two. And those halves were placed here, other halves here. The birds were not cut in two. I get the impression maybe the turtle dove was on one side the pigeon on the other side, but they were put to death there. The animals were all killed. And then they laid laying them side by side, 
the people entering into the covenant would walk through. One person I uh, read says they would make a figure eight through them several different times and it would seal the covenant of what they were doing. And so it could be maybe the animals, we know the animals would point to the sacrifices that Israel would soon be offering. We know it points to Christ's sacrifice. But it also could be that the idea was that if you break this covenant, then as these animals have been put to death, so you're going to be judged and hardship's going to come to your livelihood on your life. And so asking God, how may I know God then has Abraham get the ceremony ready? You know, he's going to seal the deal, if you will. But there's something that Abraham needs to see. And so there's this interruption, if you will, of this dream or this thing that takes place. Um, And obviously, Abraham needed to know this, that his descendants would take the land. But before they took the land, um, God had something in mind. And, you know, a side note, you guys, as we know what this is talking about is the bondage in Egypt. It shows us that the promises of God don't mean that there won't be hardships in our lives as well. And so Abraham, it says, he fell into this deep sleep at sunset when the sun was going down. And God told him about the enslavement that would take place in Egypt for 400 years, that they'd be strangers in a land that was not their own, followed by the Exodus, a time of terror and great darkness, 400 years of slavery. And he's told God will then judge the nation of Egypt, but he'll bring the people out with many possessions. And that's exactly what happened. God did bless him. In Exodus, look at these verses in Exodus here. In Exodus, there it is. It says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. And we know that's what takes place with the Pharaoh and stuff. And And Moses, and I'll grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go... And you will not go empty handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters, and thus you will plunder the Egyptians. And so what Abraham is told is going to happen in the future, we know actually did happen. And it's interesting if you think about it. If you were a people enslaved for 400 years, all of a sudden, where's your possessions? If you don't have any. And so God says... He knew they would need possessions as they once again became a people and started making their way into the promised land. And so God blessed them. And so verse 16, after four generations, he then assures Abraham the people will come back. And so seeing the picture of the future of his descendants, this interruption, if you will, of this ceremony, he then continues on with the ceremony at verse 17. He says, It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passes through these pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And so, representing God's presence, Abram sees, and I don't know what to tell you, I don't know what a floating smoking oven looks like, okay? And so don't even come up and ask me. But again... He sees this smoking oven, it says, and this torch that passes through the animals that had been laid out for the ceremony. And Abraham knew it was the presence of God. It represented God, and God was making a covenant with Abraham. And and whereas normally both parties, watch this, would walk through the pieces of the animal to seal the, the contract. Notice here, only the Lord walks through. This is significant, you guys. The Old Testament is just amazing, full of pictures. And so only the Lord walks through because 
the Lord would be the one who would fulfill the covenant alone. It would be all on God, none on Abraham. It was unconditional as far as Abraham was concerned. All Abraham had to do was to believe, to have faith that God would do it. And God then would bring forth the covenant. The covenant. He would fulfill it. And of course, it isn't hard to see how it relates to the New Testament and what Christ did on the cross. See? And again, it's all God, none of us. And so having been called from Ur, promised He would be the father of this great nation, it's really a chapter where we see a great side again of Abraham. You know, you see the human side, that he was a man that went through things. He was a man that understood fear. He's a man that is in this place that we so often find ourselves where we're just waiting for God to keep working, to bring further things to about that He wants to do in our life. And yet He was spiritual. I think of the doctrine when we talk about uh, Jesus Christ being man and God, usually the terminology goes that, that he, was both, he was both man and God. And I, and I kind of see that in Abraham here. And again, not that Abraham was God, but he's a type and you see that, don't you? You see the human side of him here, what I just mentioned, but you see a real spiritual side of him too, just trusting God and, and not wavering in that way. And so again, we see that God would fulfill this. And, and, and so he had questions. He wondered how, but, but he trusted the Lord. And so, with us, as we close this morning then, I want you to think about three things. See, I think application of the Word is vital, isn't it? We come to learn the Word, but then having heard the Word, we want to be doers of the Word too. And the Lord kind of gave me a picture. It said, show them three pictures this morning. So there's other things, but I just want to show you three pictures I think that we see in this thing. The first one is what we talked about already is that living in the gulf, that place of promise, of knowing the promise, yet not personally experiencing them yet. And you know, we often find ourselves in that place, don't we? Matter of fact, I would say in maybe one area of our life, we're probably all in that place right now. Where we're, we're wanting to see God do something, but it hasn't quite been brought about yet. So it's like a gulf, isn't it? You know, sometimes when we're in that gulf, if you will, it can mean it could bring things like the hardship of Egypt. And again, I want to encourage you by this, you guys. So often we think or we, we would like, we wish that we could just come to Christ and there's never going to be another problem in our life forever. And you know what you'd be if that happened? You'd be an immature, spoiled believer is what you'd be. You really would. Because the Lord knows, no, hardships and struggles and trials do two things. It hopefully will cause you to trust me and it also shapes you. And it gets rid of you and makes me come forth in your life. You know, when I was a kid, we grew up in a place in Ballard for a while. And for three years of my life, we lived on the, the front side of a ravine. You know what a ravine is, you know? It just goes down to that. And this ravine was awesome. This was when I was fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And so there were houses on the one side, houses on the other, in between, you know, hills and trees and stream in the bottom and we used to love that ravine that's where we hung out all the time really we'd go down there at times and dam up the creek and play in the creek sometimes we'd get cardboard and slide down the pieces of dirt and just go all the way down being boys we used to catch gardener snakes coming out of our ears I won't tell you what we did with them we didn't kill them okay but we had fun with them and uh, again we were boys okay boys do fun things with snakes especially if there's girls around okay um <laughs> 
tree houses and everything. And you know, I thought as I was studying this week, I said, you know, Lord, that so often we think that the gulf, being in that place of we know what God, His promises are, but we haven't seen them fulfilled yet. And we think, oh, Lord, that's a bummer of a place. And I thought, no, it's not. It doesn't have to be, does it? Oh, yeah, there's Egypt's in that time. There's hard times in that place. But it can be a time where there's there's real joy. You know, when we would play in that ravine as kids, man, we built relationships. We had fun together. We, we grew together. Families got to know each other and on and on and on. And it's the same with you and I when we're in that place. And that's where we're at most of the time, you guys. We're in that place of wanting to see God finish this work. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad place to be. So that's one of the first things we see. The next thing picture we see is the place of fear. You realize fear can do two things. It can push us closer to God or it can push us away from God. Really, that's what fear does. Fear either causes us to then to turn to the Lord and become closer with Him or it drives us away. And of course, what we want is to be driven to the Lord. And that's why, again, the Word is so important. Prayer is so important because what should happen when fear comes into your life or a situation comes in that causes you to fear, as believers, you need to be growing and maturing where you go to the Word, you go to those verses that bring hope, and and you allow them to minister to you along with prayer, along with the presence of the Spirit, and you are being drawn actually closer to God rather than being driven from God. If you don't do that, you will be driven farther from God. How many of us have faced something that's fearful and not taking, not going to God, not taking our thoughts captive, if you will, all of a sudden we start running this scenario. Worst case scenario, right? You've been there? Shake your heads. Come on. Anybody been there? Exactly. And you start running the scenario and all of a sudden the fear has just become this three-eyed monster. You know? And really... And so that's what can happen, and we've got to be careful of that. See, there's a picture here, you guys. There's a picture at verse 11. You see it there? The birds of prey came down. You see the picture there? The birds of prey in Scripture are usually related to Satan. And so here's a picture that when we are in that gulf, in that place of just trusting God, walking with God, birds of prey come, don't they? And they come and try to attack us, and Abraham shoes them away, and I can't keep going with all these pictures. There's so many things here that you could just run with. But that place of fear, maybe that's what speaks to some of you today. Maybe you came in this morning and there's something going on right now in your life and you are fearful. And I pray by now then the Lord has shown you, listen, take that and put it at my altar. Leave it. Let it me have it. And you can walk in that place. And then the last picture is the covenant the Lord has made with us being justified by faith. What an incredible thing. That having believed in Christ, having faith, we are justified by faith. The process, this is what justification by faith is. It's a process where sinful human beings are made acceptable to a holy God. And that is what Jesus Christ has done. And so as the presence of God walked between these offerings that Abraham had laid out, when Christ died for sinful man, having no sin of, his own, sin of his own, the demands of the law were fulfilled in the righteousness of Jesus' his Son, and a covenant was executed on God's behalf for you and I who have believed. And again, did we walk through? Did we do anything? Nothing. Isn't it incredible? 
Isn't it a beautiful picture, this picture of what Abraham does here? It's exactly what Christ has done for us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. What a beautiful thing. We are justified because the work of Christ when he shed his blood. Romans 5.9, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And so when, one, when God justifies one, he charges their sin to Christ and he credits the righteousness of Christ back to the one who believes. And again, I know that's not easy to understand, is it? You know why it's not easy to understand, you guys? Because we realize how unworthy we are. We are not worthy of such a thing. We're not worthy of, of such a gift being bestowed upon us. And we want to try to do something, but that, there's nothing to be done. The New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ established a new covenant in His blood. And so, what an incredible thing. Romans 5.8, Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification for li- of life. Someone has put it this way, God is just because His holy standard of perfect righteousness has been fulfilled in Christ, and He is the justifier because this righteousness is freely given to the believer. And what are the results of justification? You're saved from God's wrath. You will be glorified someday. You know, you have peace with God. You have access to God's grace. And you have eternal inheritance. And there's more, but I just picked a few. And so that's another picture that we see this morning, that we are justified. And again, maybe some of you struggle with this. You constantly are condemning yourself. You're constantly trying just to earn God's favor and God is saying quit it you can't you don't have to just receive it and see really you realize when you receive the fact of what it means to be justified you actually then start probably you'll start living the life more that you want to live there's something weird about that you can try in your own strength to be what you think God wants you to be and you never seem to get there but when you let go and you just say God, I just receive what you've done. All of a sudden, it's like it releases this freedom in your life and you actually really start living the holy life you're longing to live anyway. And so, what a great passage of Scripture, isn't it? God has made this covenant with you and I. He's given us a picture this morning. And I just pray that your heart will be filled with that this morning. That as you leave, you'll you'll realize what God has done for each of us who have believed in Christ. This covenant that was established. This covenant that who carried it out? God. You didn't have to carry it out. You couldn't carry it out. He carried it out. And you know what? I don't have a lot of faith in everything that man says. Amen? Man is known to break his word. But when God says, I enter into a covenant with you, no problem. Like it. He isn't going to break it. What does it say? He's faithful. That means he will not break it. And God has entered in that covenant with you and I. Understand, you guys, how much the Lord loves you. How precious you are to Him. How He longs for you. How He loves you. How He died for you. How He entered into this covenant. You know, for parents as they get older and their kids get older, one of the greatest joys is when a kid comes back home to visit for a while. My kids live in the area. They don't live with me. Amen. You know. You know. But I do enjoy it when they come to the house. You know, I really do. I love them to be there. And, and I think, you know, Lord... We need to get that vision. 
So often we condemn ourselves. We think, oh, God doesn't want to see me. And nothing could be farther from the truth. He has entered into a covenant with us because he loves us so much. And ultimately, a day is going to come where we are going to go to be with him in heaven. And oh, do you realize that's going to be one reunion? That's going to be one homecoming. That's like a family reunion. My wife's from the south. Let me tell you, they do family reunions down there. But that's what it's going to be as we all gather to our dad, if you will. And oh, can you imagine? He's going to be so happy. But even now, he's obviously thrilled. But you guys, that's how much he loves you and I. And so may the Lord encourage you by this. May you be, realize that that when fear comes in your life, deal with it the right way. And as you stand in that place, as we live really so often, we live in the gulf. Remember these words this week. The Lord is in the gulf. The Lord is in that gap with you. He is. And, and, he, and so often it's probably right where you need to be. It's a place where you have to trust Him. It's a place where you're exercising faith. It's a place where a work is going on, but still more work is taking place and you want to see it take place. So I guess what I'm saying is, hey, relax, okay? Quit stressing out, man, you know? Quit stressing out in your life and just relax in what God's doing and just know how much He loves you. You've, you've got such a picture of it today. And just sit there and realize, man, my Father's got me. I don't need to fear. He's taking me on this journey. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.